You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi C. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, I was away last week, I would say in warm weather, but today's weather actually matches that nice city of North Miami Beach. And it wasn't really a vacation. Um, I mean, it was a vacation. I went away, just me and my wife. But my son was making a, well, we'll say a party to start. He was making a seum. I'm going to explain what that means. Um, so we flew down Wednesday night, stayed Thursday, flew back Friday, did not take the kids with us, just a quick in and out. It was great. It was really beautiful. The weather's fantastic. Everybody has pools in their backyard. I didn't go swimming. It was a little, it was like 70. But just sitting by the water and just relaxing or walking down to what they call the canal. It was beautiful. Really, really pleasant. Nice getting away. Nice weather. And um, I was there for a seum. So let me explain. Um, seum just means simply is a completion. So when somebody completes a tractate, right? So the Talmud is made up of uh, many, many tractates. Some talk about holidays. Some talk about sacrifices. Some talk about laws that um, revolve around marriage. Some talk about damages and court systems. Um, some talk about blessings. Uh, some talk about purity. So people will make a seum every time they complete a tractate. A tractate could be as small as 30 double-sided pages. A tractate could be as long as 175 double-sided pages in good old Aramaic. But this was special because this was a completion on the whole Talmud. We're talking 2,700-plus double-sided pages. If you did one page a day, it would take you seven and a half years. And we talked about about a year ago when um, in Giant Stadium they made that big, um, what they called Siyam Hashas, the completion of the Talmud, where tens of thousands of people came, were completed, and many rabbis, and, and there was singing and dancing. It was beautiful. But this was for my son, his own personal travel through the Talmud, and he completed it really September time. But because of COVID, he couldn't have any kind of party at all. So he pushed it off now. They had it in somebody's backyard by the pool, and there were tables, and it was outside. The weather was gorgeous, and we there were speeches, and he spoke, and we Zoomed for the relatives that couldn't come. My mother saw it by Zoom. It was beautiful. But actually, for me, the highlight was a friend of my son's who got up to speak. His name is Mickey. We'll call him Dr. Mickey. I have to go through his whole last name. Um, and he spoke powerful, very polished doctor. It was just, it, it, it seems everybody there knew the story, but he repeated it for me, for my wife, and for a few relatives that were there. My, uh, my son's in-laws were there. So I'd like to share with you this story. Now, when this 
Dr. Mickey says over the story, he says he takes away from the story what we call Ashkacha Pratis, that God is there step by step helping you along with life when you need something. And even when you don't need something, God is there to take care of you if you're willing to open up your eyes and be taken care of. So, let me tell you what this Mickey said. It's just amazing. So this Mickey gets up. Um, it's 9 o'clock. He had just come from his uh, doctor's practice. And he starts out and he says, you know, when we sit down sometimes, there are select individuals, there are some people that have changed our lives for the better, and we need to recognize how God put those people in our path. So he says like this, eight years ago, his wife comes to him and says, Mickey, I want you to do me a favor. Okay, the wife asks for a favor. Of course you want to help your wife when she asks for a favor. So he says, dear, what would you like? So they had just finished, this was, uh, they had finished the Talmud, the completion of the Talmud about eight years ago. So she says, you know, it would be really meaningful to me. It would be very important, I think, for you and for me. I want you to finish the Talmud. So if you start now, a page a day, double-sided page, go to a lecture, go to a class. If you do it every day, next seven and a half years, you too will complete um, the Talmud. And it would be, I think it would be important for you, she said. And it would be very meaningful to me. Um, and I would like you to commit. And it's a commitment. Remember, it's every day. It's kind of hard. You fall behind a couple pages. It's hours of time. It's hard to catch up. So it's a real commitment every single day for the next seven and a half years. That's what I would like. So he said, you know, you're asking for a real commitment, but I see it's important to you. I'll commit. She said, great. I so appreciate it. Three years into the commitment, and Dr. Mickey, every day he makes sure he goes to his class and he... He studies with them, and it could take half an hour, 45 minutes. Depends whose lecture you go to. Some people could be an hour. And he's moving along. You know, you're three years in. You know, the first few tractates are easy. When you are three years in, you are committed. And uh, one wonderful Friday afternoon, his, um, I I guess it was the head of the department or the, the head of the practice, calls him and says, Mickey, I need a favor. Yeah, head of the department wants something, head of the practice. He says, what? He says, you know, you come in every day at 9, but really, really, I need you to come in on Wednesdays and Fridays at 7 o'clock. Come in at 7 o'clock, but leave at 2.30. So, you know, I'm, I'm making you come in early, but you'll leave at 2.30. You'll have the whole Wednesday afternoon. you have the whole Friday afternoon. It's, it's great, and I need you to do it. Okay, what am I supposed to say? Head of the department, head of the practice. He's driving home. And he says, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? This is going to get this is going to mess up my schedule, my commitment of doing a page of Talmud every day. I just wiped out Wednesday and Friday because I always did it in the morning. So what am I going to do now? I don't know. I have no choice, but I I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. Anyways, that Friday night. He's in synagogue, and there's some new guy sitting behind him. Normally, one of his friends is sitting there. That friend happened, right? We love when we say happened. That friend happened to um, be away for a couple weeks, and some young kid, kid, boy, man, is behind him. And he turns around, and he says, oh, uh, 
Welcome, Shalom Aleichem. What's your name? My name is Dovi Jacobson. That's my son. My name is Mickey. And uh, they pray. Prayer is over. And they have a conversation. He says, are you here like most people coming down to North Miami Beach, vacationing for a week or two? He says, no. I joined the Kolel. A Kolel we've talked about in the past is where you'll have a group of young Torah scholars that they will study mornings, afternoons, evenings, and in a lot of these kolels, um, like in North Miami Beach, in the evenings, they, they not, I don't want to say required, they are expected to study with, um, with people in the community. The community supports them, they want them to study, but also they have to give their time back to people in the community. So Dovi says, no, I am a new member of the Kolel here in town, and uh, that's why I just moved here. So this Mickey says, I love the Kolel. I'm so happy you came to join our town. If you ever need anything, just ask me. I love to help people. It is my pleasure. Anything you need, no problem. Okay. Week later, they're again back-to-back in the synagogue, and... uh, my son Dovi says to this Mickey, he says, Dr. Mickey. So the Mickey says while he's talking, I did not introduce myself as a doctor. Probably if he calls me doctor, he needs some type of medical advice or help. Okay. So he says, Dr. Mickey, I, you told me last week if I need anything, I can ask you for a favor. He says, of course. What would you like? So Dovi says to him, I would like you to study with me. So Mickey steps back and he says, you asked me for a favor. That's not me doing you a favor. You're doing me a favor. But if you're asking, I have a problem three days a week, even though in the story it was only two days, but three days a week I have a problem with um, completing the daily page of Talmud, the daily daf, Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you could study with me to make up those three days, it will, it will make my life much better. Because I committed to it, and I'm, I'm really committed, but I'm stuck on these three days. If we could find time that you could help me with those three days, you would, you would change my life. Dovi says, no problem. And that created a relationship between Dovi and this Mickey, which he said has changed his life because he was going to he was going to fall off you know as he was 3 years in he was not going to be able to continue 3 days out of 7 it's not going to happen anymore and here god put somebody right in front of his nose who offered his time and his expertise to go ahead and study with him and uh, because of that relationship this uh, Mickey did complete the, entri- the entire Talmud, before my son, actually. And he flew my son together. They went to Giant Stadium um, last year. And he said the feeling when they said, everyone who's completed the Talmud, please stand. He said he never felt like that in his life. He said it was unbelievable. And now they have a wonderful relationship. And he says, you got to watch for the people that are waiting to Get involved in your life that will change your life. And therefore, he said publicly, he says, his relationship was with Dovi and what Dovi helped him accomplish, he can never get. He could never have gotten it if not for the fact that God stuck my son right behind him 
and he was smart enough to take advantage. That is just a beautiful, amazing story. And he said that over. And all the other speeches I spoke, my son spoke, uh, his father-in-law spoke, his one of the rabbis spoke. All beautiful speeches. Don't get me wrong. I think I'm a pretty good speaker if you ask me. That's why I keep doing this. And uh, But that speech was just a home run. That was just, I felt so good, which uh, was really one of the things I spoke about. One of my points that I spoke about is the greatest way the Kids of Shulchan Aruch mentions. If you want to do the ultimate honoring parents, it's through Torah studying good deeds. So my question was, why is Torah studying good deeds, why is that the best way to honor your parents? And I said the reason is because that speaks to the soul. Everything else is a lot of things. You did well on a math test. You got into college. You got a job. You got the, a career. You're making money. You bought a new car. You bought a house. These are all beautiful, wonderful things. But it doesn't speak to the soul. And this story spoke to my soul. I was so proud and so appreciative. And therefore, that is the ultimate when it comes to honoring parents. So now that we touched on Siam, and you'd be surprised, actually connected to this week's Torah portion, um, once we're talking about Siam, let's talk a little about this week's Torah portion. So this week's Torah portion, it's actually a double portion, very long. It is called Vayakel and Pikude. It is our fourth and fifth uh, venture into the building of the tabernacle. We started with Truman, Tetzaven, Kisisa, and now again, Vyakel, we're going to actually start the construction, and Pekude, we're going to actually put it all together. So these two Torah portions put together the, um, the, sorry about that, the cough. Drinking water is supposed to help me not cough, and instead, it did not help. But anyways, we're working on it. Uh, voice there needs a little help. But in any case, so that's this Torah portion. We're going to see momentarily what that has to do with this seam. But once we're about a seam, there is a very fascinating prayer that we say. When somebody finishes a tractate, or in this case, finishes the entire Talmud, so there's this very beautiful paragraph that they read out loud. And in that paragraph, they say, we work and they work. The they is just the royal they, right? Like the royal we. We work, they work. We work, we get rewarded. They work, they don't get rewarded. Now, that's a little strange because it's not true. If you work, you get rewarded. You, you get a paycheck, right? Isn't that true, right? I'm a teacher. I work, get a paycheck. I'm a fundraiser. I work, get a paycheck. You're a doctor. You're a lawyer. You're an accountant. You're a bookkeeper. Whatever you do. You work, you get rewarded. Why do we say in this paragraph, when we're talking about the completion of a tractate, that the guy who studied and worked, he gets rewarded? But a person who doesn't work in Torah study doesn't get rewarded. What does that mean? So it's really fascinating. Um, And salesmen understand this best. You know, you could work for months and your meetings and clients and trying to get the sale. And if you don't get the sale, so three months later, if the sale falls through, you ain't getting paid because you're paid on commission. That's how you really make money. Yeah, maybe they, there's some type of, uh, of payment for trying. But for the most part, we get paid for not for 
our efforts, but for the outcome. We, we, we have to actually show that we accomplished. No matter what you do, where you work, if you can't show that you raised money, whatever your job is supposed to be, right? It, when, when they're going to bring you into the office for your yearly review, if you can't show why you are a benefit for the company, I don't care how much effort you put in. I tried so hard to get that computer working. It wasn't plugged in, but I was trying so hard, and I should really be rewarded for that. Right? I may be a little silly that I didn't know to plug it in, or you know, I made so many phone calls and I tried so hard. Okay, everybody hangs up on me. Very beautiful. We appreciate you trying to work, but we need results around here. If we don't get results, you are not getting paid. So this is the concept, right? In other words, by Torah study, my job is to put in effort. It is true. We also want to accomplish. You got to finish the tractates, and you got to, at some point, we want you to be able to be a scholar, be a teacher, um, be able to help others, all fine and dandy. But you actually get rewarded for the effort you put in for Torah study, even if at the end of the day, maybe you didn't come to a final conclusion, right? You have all these arguments throughout the Talmud, the famous Hillel and the famous Shammai. If there's an argument, we, 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 the law can't follow both sides of the argument, right? The law only follows one side. But the other side is getting rewarded in heaven for the effort they put in to try to figure it out. So when we work and we try to figure out the right explanation, and you'll have boys that will sit there and study for hours and try to figure it out, and then they'll go to class. And the rabbi will say, okay, so... What did you think it means? What did you think it means? And the rabbi's job is to show them, I mean, if they got it right, very good. The likelihood is because they're just starting out that the rabbi says, you tried very good. Your thought process was interesting, but this is how you should have been thinking. And this is the right thought process because of training, right? But you're getting rewarded for the effort, right? So we work and they work. It's a very famous, fascinating concept. The difference, right? In God's mind, you... Your job was not to, to, to come to the final conclusion. You do come to the conclusion correctly. You don't. There'll be a different rabbi to tell you the right conclusion. But God wants you doing the studying. So you did the studying. So you're getting rewarded for that. Okay. So in that idea of reward, right, this is what I want to bring out. This is really, this is where we get into this week's Torah portion. And that is, as people like to say, no good deed goes unrewarded, right? Which just that phrase itself, right, means you did something good, you're going to get rewarded. Maybe not right away, right? Maybe you weren't successful, right? But no good deed goes unrewarded. And that brings us to Bitsalel. Who is Bitsalel? Bitsalel is the one that is responsible. He is the foreman. He is responsible for every part of the tabernacle to make sure it is built to the proper specs, it's built properly. The beams and the sockets and the, and the table and the ark and the altars and the curtains and the courtyard. All the different details must be built properly. He's in charge. Interesting, the Torah gives me a whole lineage of who he is. He is Betzalel, Betzalel ben Uri, the son of Uri, ben Chur, the son of Chur, who happened to have been Miriam, Moses' sister's, Son, what happened to Chor? When Moses goes up uh, the mountain, up Mount Sinai, to receive the Torah, 
So pretty much Hur and Aaron were left in charge, right? These are pretty important people. We fought, we run into Hur um, when Amalek came to fight with the Jewish people and Moses sends out Joshua, Yeshua, to do the fighting. So Moses goes on top of the mountain with Aaron and Hur accompanying him um, to pray on behalf of the Jewish people. And Moses is going to hold his hands up. When his arms are up, the Jewish people are winning. And eventually his arms get tired. So Aaron and Hur are going to each one hold up one of his arms so the, the nation sees that Moses is praying and then the soldiers will be successful. So Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he's not coming down. And the people get nervous. And we've talked about it in the past. You go back to one of the old shows uh, to get into exactly um, what what the story was over there with a the golden calf. And uh, they get nervous, and they they want to they want they want an idol. They want they want someone to take the place of Moses. Is the basic idea behind the golden calf. But it's idol worship, anyways. You know, it's even if they may have had good intentions, but at the end of the day. It was an idol, and they weren't allowed to do it. So Hur stands there and says, you cannot do this. Now, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a crowd. There's a riot going on. There are people that, that, that don't know what to do. And whatever the number was, whoever many couple thousand it was, there are 3,000 are killed. So whatever the number is that's rebelling, um, one man cannot stand up to a crowd. But the fact of the matter was, it was a good deed, right? He said, this is wrong. They killed him. That's why when they go to Aaron and they say, we need you to build to make us an idol. He had his reasons. He felt that if he would get killed, it would, uh, it would be such a problem that God would have to destroy the Jewish people. Killing a prophet and a priest on the same day, it would just be a tragedy that we would not recover from. So Aaron felt that he would try to delay the process. Um, he was not successful in delaying the process. In any case, so that's Aaron and Hur. That's Hur. So Hur did a good deed. So he's going to get rewarded, right? He wasn't successful, right? That's, that's my whole point. He stood up to this crowd, to this riot, and he said, this is the wrong thing. He didn't stop them from doing the idol. They did the idol um, anyways. Right? They got Aaron to, make, to help to make the idol. So he wasn't successful at all. But he did do a good deed. What was his reward? His reward was that his grandson would be the one to go ahead and construct the Mishkan, the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is, it's called, it's also the six-star portion, the tabernacle is called the uh, Tabernacle of Testimony. What was it testifying to? It was testifying that God forgave the Jewish people for doing idol worship. Because you see, the, the, um, this has been going on for a thousand years, two thousand years, whatever it is, that, uh, that people say, oh, the Jewish people did the golden calf, God is done with the Jewish people. He's changed his mind. He's picked other people to, um, to, uh, that, that will serve him. So no, the tabernacle says that this is the testimony. God is coming into our midst. Build me a tabernacle. I will live in your midst. This is what Bitzalel was responsible for building. So again, so his grandfather, Hur, stood up to say, don't make a tabernacle. I'm sorry. Hur stood up and said, don't make an idol. 
And he got killed for it. But it was a good deed. But he's rewarded for that good deed by having the son who will come along and go ahead and say this was inappropriate. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. And, uh, and he builds the tabernacle and we're forgiven and God comes and... I guess we just wrapped it all up with a bow, but the music is already playing. I cannot believe how our time has flown by. So, as always, I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you to wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my wonderful production team in the back. We have David and Kelsey and Alan. I hope I've left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it. There's a house we can build. 